can't really sing. <laughs> yeah. la, 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 Hello la, and welcome to the SBNY podcast. Today is a very special day for the lives of New York sports fans, specifically those of the Knicks. And maybe it's special for good reasons, maybe it's special for bad, but overall it is definitely a day to remember Carmelo Anthony, the former New York Knicks star, has moved on to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Knicks received Enos Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second round pick from the Chicago Bulls. We're going to be talking a lot about that trade today. My man Frank Vellani is going to join me in a minute, but we're going to be talking about the Knicks, talk about the Thunder. Talk about what this means to the league, what it means for Mello. Touch on some other NBA topics, and as well, we're going to throw our two cents out on the Giants, as well as the NFL Week 3. But without further ado, my man Frank Villani joining for the Knicks podcast today. Frank, how you doing, man? Good, man. How we doing, Petey? I'm doing all right. It's a, it's a weird uh, time right now, huh? Like, with Carmelo Anthony finally getting traded, it feels like we've waited so long, and then it snuck up on us, and... Took us all by surprise. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm a little bit relieved. I feel like we're going to have some of this drama behind us, and we can finally really look forward to the future as a Knicks organization. I think it's going to be good for us. I hear you. And you know what? I remember just thinking back, basically, right, to when this first became a rumor of Carmelo wants to opt out of the no-trade clause so he can go to Houston and whatever. All the rumors started. You know, some people were in the mindset of addition by subtraction, just get rid of Melo, we need to turn over a new leaf, it's time for a new beginning. Other people were like, you know what, if we're not going to get anything back, let's just hold on to him, he can still help the team, the guys on the team like him. But now that's over. So there's no more debate on should he stay or should he go, he's gone. And the best part is, Frank, on Monday, which is actually today, as (laughs) we're recording this podcast late Sunday night, but on Monday... Knicks media day starts, and there won't be a hundred questions for Mello, Hornacek, Mills, Perry, and the rest of the teammates. What do you think about Mello? Is he going to get traded? Is he not going to get traded? And just taking that out of the week leading up to training camp and preseason and the opening to the season, how much does that help the Knicks off the bat? I mean, like you said, immediately off the bat, it's a distraction just, just out the window. Like, more questions i think we, you might get the, f- the few minority that want to ask you know like what are your thoughts on the trade like did you speak to Melo since but i feel like a lot of that stuff is irrelevant and since this isn't going to be like a big rivalry between these two teams i don't think it'll be a big topic of discussion and i think they'll you know quickly move on to how Kristaps Porzingis is the focal point and how there's you know not a solid new york knicks team but a decent enough team to where, you know, we might be contending for not last place for the first time in a few seasons, which might be nice, you know? Yeah, of course. You bring up a good point with those few questions that will get asked. Absolutely. Don't want to forget about that. People will say tomorrow or in the first few days. So have you talked to Carmelo since? I know KP already has a quote out that he texted with Melo already, thanking him, saying that he was a brother to him since he got here, like all the respect in the world, yada, yada, yada. But there will be those questions. That's correct. And... The good thing about those questions is that they are in the past and not speculation to the future. So now the only speculation to the future is how many touches is Tim Hardaway going to get? What are we going to do with Enos Cantor? Is he a trade piece? Do we like him long term? And it's about the team. It's about what goes on on the court for the Knicks. And that is the one clear-cut positive. The not 
clear-cut positive is this deal. So, Frank, I want to talk about that for a minute. So I'll set it up like this, and I want you to take over. I know you have certain feelings about some of the players in this deal, but relative to the market and to what the Houston Rockets were offering and what the Cavs would have offered and what Portland could have offered, my first instant takeaway was relative to the options, I don't think this is something to be very upset about, but I also don't think it's something to be like ecstatic about. Where do you fall on this trade? Uh I mean, initial reaction, I'd say I agree with you. It's it's definitely nothing to get crazy about. This isn't going to put the Knicks in, like, you know, fifth spot in the East clearly or, you know, drop them to 16th spot clearly. It, it brings ambiguity with it because, you know, Canther's a guy who has starter potential but has been coming off the bench for most of his career. And, you know, we're finally going to get to see what he can do with more usage if his – defense is so bad that he can't play we'll probably know right off the bat which will be another good thing because we still have willie hernan gomez and kyle o'quinn in that center spot but i think his scoring upside could really help this nick he's got a decent jumper he's an excellent offensive rebounder and he's got a great back to the basket game which i know is kind of you know taboo in today's nba no one likes to slow it down but I think with a team like the Knicks, it's not going to be scoring 130 points a game like some of these crazy teams like the Nuggets and the Warriors and stuff like that. They're going to have to slow tempos down and beat teams with their team defense and, you know, just quality, high-quality, efficient basketball. Absolutely. Uh, and, I mean, he's not, he's not a bad rim runner. I mean, he can, he can play in the pick-and-roll as the role man. He's just not the most versatile. Like, he's not going to be a huge alley-oop finish, finisher. He's not going to be pick-and-popping out by the three-point line. But his mid-range game is salvageable, and he can finish extremely well around the hoop. And like you said, the number one thing about Enos Cantor, let's be real, his absolute best trait is offensive rebounding. My man, I don't know if it's because he just loves scoring. He might just love getting buckets so much that he tries harder on offensive rebounds. But he's a wizard with offensive boards. Defensively, he's probably average on rebounding, but offensively, he's ridiculous. I think it, it's more so because of his intelligence on each end of the floor. Like offensively, you can tell he's a savvy player. He knows he knows when he beats people. He knows where he beats people. He, he really takes smart shots. He's an efficient player. On defense, though, he's not at the same basketball intellect. So he's always out of position, and he's always having to fight for rebounds out of position as opposed to being, you know, in the right spot at the right time. So I think that's where that comes from. But like. He's been working on defense for so long now, so like I said, we'll know pretty much right off the bat whether he's got it or he doesn't, and you know we'll probably have to accept that for what it is, but that's the good thing about the Knicks this year. We have our draft pick, and uh, you know, if all goes bad, it's not the worst thing in the world because we can recoup with that pick. Absolutely. That's a good point, and I know to give the listeners of the SBNY podcast – uh, some perspective. I know you do appreciate the Thunder. You are a Thunder guy. I'm not going to say you're a Thunder fan specifically because I would say your favorite team is most like is the Knicks. Is that correct? Uh, so, I mean, quick explanation would be I'm a Knicks fan and my favorite player is Russell Westbrook. So since the Knicks have been, you know, kind of miserable to watch these past few years, uh, by the time playoff time comes around and things start to matter, I usually cheer for the Thunder just because the Knicks are not in it. That's pretty much how that goes. But, yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of their games. Uh, I'm also a huge Paul George fan. 
Um, the addition of Carmelo Anthony on that team is huge because his value is maximized on a team like that. Like the Thunder are going to be a problem this year. You watch. And you know, you know what happened when this trade broke. I I called you first, and we were talking about it. And I believe the first thing I said to you is kind of random, and it's not something you think about right away when thinking about this trade. But I said, if you remember, I said Andre Roberson's value just skyrocketed. This yep. man, you know, he can't shoot free throws. He's not a good three-point shooter. He is a fantastic defender who will take the best offensive player on the opposing team. He will take the toughest matchup, night in, night out, 30 minutes, the, from two, one, two, three, or four. My man can guard anybody. Yeah, so now you have Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, three assassins on the offensive end, three guys who can get buckets, three guys who demand double teams, and three guys who can score at all different levels, near the hoop, behind the three-point line, and in between when they want to. Yeah, three guys who showed clearly that they are capable of, you know, leading a team offensively. You know, whether, you know, you were satisfied with results or not, they all led teams offensively and did, you know, pretty damn good jobs doing so. So. Yeah, and you think and you think about the Thunder now. I I also I also pose this and and, and seriously think about this. Before Melo got traded to the Thunder, the Thunder may have been the only team in the NBA who, when faced up against the Golden State Warriors, had more than one out of the five best players on the court. Because I believe Russell Westbrook and Paul George belong in the top five with the likes of Steph Curry, Durant, Clay, and Draymond. I don't know about one other team who might have two players better than their top five, than their top four. And now you add Melo, who's not better than the top four of the Golden State Warriors, but he's damn closer to they are than anybody else on that Thunder roster was. And he can score with them. And he could add that punch that you need to keep up with the Warriors. You also mentioned this to me the other day as, as we were talking about this trade. Who who was one of the teams, like random teams in the NBA, who really competed with the Warriors last year? It was the Denver Nuggets, a team who wasn't specifically that good. They weren't a playoff team. But what did they have? The offensive capabilities to absolutely heat up, to get so hot where they can score right with the Warriors. And the Thunder now, with three dynamic all-star scorers, and honestly, if you want to be frank about it, probably three Hall of Fame players who are all primary scorers, yep. they can now have firepower to compete, possibly, if they uh, you know get some chemistry by the end of the year. They have three guys who on any given night can give you 40 points. There's not many teams in the league where you could say three guys will do that. You probably got the Warriors. You probably, maybe, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to say it for any other teams besides those two. To like, be honest with you, like maybe Chris Paul and James Harden, but who's the third on the Rockets? Um, and honestly, Chris Paul's not even the type of guy who gets that many buckets. But he could. But he could in theory. Is yeah. What I'm like, there's not many teams in the league who's had an absolute just spurt of you know, like one guy can take over. The team has three guys that can take over. Like that's it's absolute deadly, and it's going to be invaluable, especially around playoff time when when buckets are hard to come by and stuff. You're going to have to rely on guys going one-on-one with their matchups, and they have three of the best one-on-one guys in the entire NBA. Like, that's a problem, my man. Absolutely. And maybe if you want to throw in, like, say you want to throw in the Timberwolves into that conversation. All right, Jimmy Butler can get four on any given night. Sure, Carlton Towns actually can as well. Wiggins, you can't expect him to do that 
remotely cons- consistently, but technically right. he can. But they're not even yeah. close. They're not even on the same level. The only one in the conversation of those top four is Jimmy Butler. Now you yeah. talk about the you talk about the Thunder. You got two guys clear cut in the conversation with all four of their best, and Carmelo, who's you know dragging behind if we're being realistic, but on a night can compete and give so much offensively. So I want to I want to say wait, what you got something else? Yeah, I was gonna say like overall, Melo. Yeah, I'd agree. He's not on the same level. But if we're speaking purely offensively and we go top five players in that game, I mean, Melo lights it up like nobody else. His downfall now is like his his defense and his passing. So like, I mean, if we're being dead honest, if it's just going, if we're going by scoring, the Thunder might have three of the top five. That's a good point. It really, it really is interesting. So I want to segue a little bit here. So we talked about it early in the open, and we both kind of agreed that this trade is indifferent. You know, it's not a trade to be super pumped up about. It's not a trade to get really upset about. And here's why. So I want to segue into some of what the other options may have been. So what are the three other teams that we heard were sincerely interested or sincerely realistic in the NBA? They were uh, the Houston Rockets, the Trailblazers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes. I want our SBNY listeners, whether they're listening on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, SoundCloud, wherever they're listening, wherever you are in the world, just think about this. If you were trading with the Houston Rockets, they made it clear they wanted us to take Ryan Anderson. The Knicks did not want Ryan Anderson. So let's count them out. Boom. Right off the bat, they're done. They, like, they, they basically made it clear... You're not get. We're not taking Melo unless you take Ryan Anderson, and the Knicks said, "Well, we're not giving you Melo unless you give us something else other than Ryan Anderson." So, boom, there goes the Rockets. See you later, Portland Trailblazers. They sound like a really interesting one. They have all these pieces, a lot of young players. Frank, I'm going to pose this trade to you. I'm going to pose two trades to you, and tell me if you think they're better than Enos Cantor, McDermott, and a second round pick. Okay. Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, and a second round pick. No. And you don't want to know why that's an especially no? Is because Turner and Harkless, who no matter where you would have went with the Trailblazers, one of those guys would have been in the trade, are both three-year deals. Enos Cantor is a one-year with a one-year player option, and Doug McDermott is on the last year of his rookie contract. Both having something to prove, both having money coming off the table possibly next year, that, to me just knocks it out that this was actually a decent trade relative to what was open. I agree 100%. I mean, like you said, we're only committed to these guys for one season, and I know that makes the return for the Mello trade seem even less, but, like, Mello was bought out, and he seemed to make that pretty clear. So people who still wanted him, like, I hate to break it to you, but you just have to get over it because it's not just the Knicks that moved on. He moved on as well. Um, but this trade, it it gives us a lot of flexibility in the future. Like if one of these guys happens to play his ass off as a Nick, like Dougie Dougie McBuckets finally figures out a way to score in the NBA because, because we all know he's a talented scorer. Who's like cerebral, you know, he's just not nearly the athlete that some of these guys are and it's hard on him. But if he can figure out his niche similar to like JJ Redick, that's a valuable basketball player right there. And and same with Enos Cantor. If this guy can find a way to make his his plus minus on the defensive end respectable enough for him to get like consistent minutes, these are two valuable pieces to a team. Maybe not a championship team, but realistically, how many teams are pursuing a championship in the Eastern Conference in the next 
season with LeBron here, and you know, granted he comes back to the Eastern Conference again, he, he's assumingly going to dominate like he always has. You know, it, it's it shouldn't be for the build right now. It should be for you know, like the three to four year range, which I think is respectable for where we're at. I think we could compete in four years if we keep this uh, this core that we have of young players as they mature. And uh, I think it's all upside. I really do because it's non-committal. We don't. We're not. We're not stuck with these guys if it doesn't work out, which is you know always terrible. Absolutely. And the last team that we didn't mention, it's also kind of laughable to think about the options that the Cleveland Cavaliers had. So obviously they have LeBron, and you know Melo says that Cleveland. I'll lift the no trade clause. Finally says it on like what Friday night or Saturday morning, whenever it was. They have. So few tradable pieces, yeah. That if you think about who they would have given up for Melo, they would have had to either give us Kevin Love, who Knicks fans I heard from you know Twitter callers, reading etc. No one was that interested in getting Kevin Love anyway, right? Yeah, even was that on the table like in the middle of the year, people didn't seem hyped about it. And it ended up not even being a possibility anyway. Next, Tristan Thompson apparently was a point of interest at one point. Neither side's not interested. The the yeah. Knicks threw his name out as kind of like, let's see what you got, and the Cavs say no. So those are two guys who would help make the money work. Nobody else has the money to make it work unless we took five different contracts, which would make absolutely zero sense, and we would have to send a bunch of people. It would it's a, it would be a mess. Is yeah. The most unrealistic uh, trade destination for Melo was probably Cleveland, but because LeBron's there, we kept thinking about it. So yeah. you think about all those options. And then you come back to reality, and you think about Enos Cantor, and you think about Doug McDermott, and like we said in the open, you don't have to be hyped about this trade. But if you want to be realistic, and you don't want to sound like a whiny Knicks fan, and be pissed off all the time because you know the world hates us, I get it. This was a, at least, like if you want to be the most negative you can be, this was an average trade. Can you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like, if nothing else, this is just sensible. Like... He didn't want to be here. He was going to walk probably at the end of the season anyway. Like, you know, like, what are we holding on to him? Like, he came to us as a top 10 player in the NBA. He no longer is that. We counted on him to be the guy to bring us to playoffs. And I know there was a lot of noise on the outside and the roster around him wasn't that good. But, like, if you're considered a top 10 player in the NBA, I think you should be able to get a a below-average team to at least the bottom of the pack. I mean, look, look at Jimmy Butler and that Bulls team last year. That Bulls team is is not good besides Jimmy Butler, but somehow they make the playoffs riding his back. Like, you never saw anything like that in New York because, I don't know, like, maybe we saw the tail end of Carmelo's greatness. It doesn't mean it never happened. He still is an NBA great, but, like, he's just not that player that he used to be. And, you know, you got to face facts. And it, it really becomes a help you, help me situation here. So he gets sent to a great team. This is the most talent Carmelo Anthony has ever played with in his career. I know he played with pretty pretty close to prime Chauncey Billups, not even close to Russell Westbrook, even though Chauncey is a great, he's a Hall of Famer as well. He played with Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala is great. He ain't yeah. Russell Westbrook. He ain't Paul George. Like This is the most talent he's ever got. But I want to segue back. Because we talked about the Thunder and what how that helped them a little bit. We're going to get back into 
uh, after we flip to football in, in a little while, talk about the Giants, talk about week three, talk about all these home dogs and how they either beat the spread or just flat out beat their, their opponent who was a favorite. But we're going to talk about what this uh, finally ends means for the Thunder and finally means for the Knicks. But let's segue back into the Knicks a little bit. I want to talk about what these guys mean to the entire roster. Because believe it or not, Frank, the season's really close. <laughs> it's super close. So we got Enos Cantor probably going to be the starting center. Would you guess that he's going to start? Um, I don't know. I thought they were pretty high on Willie Hernan Gomez, and I don't know if he was even going to start over Kyle O'Quinn. But if it's not Enos Cantor, it's it's Hernan Gomez, in my opinion. And Knicks fans definitely love Hernan Gomez, as do I. I mean, he played very well in Eurobasket too, coming off a good a good summer. Uh, another year under the belt in the NBA. But now the Knicks have this weird logjam, right? So off the bat, we have multiple centers on the roster, including Enos Cantor, including Kylo Quinn, including KP. Well, he's a four slash five. We'll throw him in there. And believe it or not, the crazy part is Joe Kim Noah is still on the Knicks. Oh, <laughs> oh I almost forgot about that. <laughs> no. It, how easily forgettable is Joe Kim Noah on the Knicks roster? He's especially forgettable because he barely even played last year, and when he did, I mean, you wanted to forget it. So, <laughs> you know, like, oh, man, I forgot about that completely. Is Joe Kim the starter? No way, right? No no way, right? Come on. No, no way. Be. Dude, he was hurt all last year. It might be Joe Kim. That's actually wild. Um, He's not the starter, though. No way. I'm going with no way on that if, one. I think if we're, if we're in this mode where – we're totally committed to building around uh, Chris Stapps. I agree with you. I don't think he's a starter anymore. But he's going to get minutes. I mean, you never know. This guy was like a runner-up on the MVP voting like, what, seven, eight years ago? Like, yeah, but you can't say that out loud with a serious face anymore. Like, I'm sorry. You can't do it. I know, you, I know you can't see my face right now. It's not really serious, but like at the same time, like he still was that player. It's, it, you're right. You're not being serious, but it's also factual. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just saying, like, it wouldn't be. I mean, I'm not expecting anything, and I'm I'm not saying Knicks fans should expect anything because you know who knows. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Joe Kim Noah was like you know a decent NBA player again. He was before, like as specifically as a role player though. Like he needs to be that guy now who plays 12 minutes, but those 12 minutes he's working his his ass off. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, who he needs to yeah, become. I feel that. Yeah, he needs to maximize what he can do in a little amount of time because his health can't keep up. Because let's be real. If, if Joe Kim Noah comes off the bench, grabs a rebound, throws an ugly pass for an assist, <laughs> and like maybe you know gets a really hard foul, blocks some shot, and then goes out and you don't see him again, that's a great performance right there for him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good garbage man minutes right there. Every team needs that, so... And honestly, as much as we can make fun of him, because how easily of a punching bag is Joe Kim Noah and his contract at this point, but if you really think about him, the person, like actual Joe Kim Noah, the human being, I still kind of think he's a positive presence, right? Like, is he not, even though he's irrelevant as a player? uh, He's a veteran who's been on a team that's been to the Western uh, Eastern Conference Finals a few times. He was a main focal point on a team after... Derrick Rose's injury, a team that still made the playoffs. So, I mean, yeah, he's got invaluable experience. There's no doubt about that. He's uh, 
he is an NBA player, an NBA lifer. He's been here for more than 10 seasons, you know. That's invaluable to any team. Experiences like, like uh, look at the Kings. Look at their two signings this offseason, Zebo and Vince Carter. Those are... And George Hill. And George Hill. Those are all of immeasurable importance, not not on the basketball side, on, on, on the teaching these young athletes how to be professionals. Like, like I remember last year I was reading a story... Um, one of the rookies on Memphis Grizzlies had his own apartment, but he also had his own room in Vince Carter's house. And just like every once in a while, he would just go live with Vince Carter and Vince Carter's family. Just like, you know, take a break from the world, learn from Vince Carter, be, know how to become a man. Like that's invaluable to teams. That's invaluable in every organization and every sport. Every so. walk of life, honestly, having those types yeah. of people. It's a good point. And it, the hardest thing I know – I know, Frank. How many people do you think are listening to this right now saying, like, screw you two people, $17 million, like, ah. But my point on that whole $17 million thing is that money exists, and it's there. And no matter what we want to do or say or joke or cry, $17 million is going to joke him Noah this year and again next year. So if that's going to happen, shouldn't we just hope that he can be, like, remember, uh, on the on the heat, Jawan was Jawan Howard. Yep, he went down. He played maybe you know a hundred minutes the entire season, but my man was there. And when you hear like these little thir- like thirty for thirty type shorts about say that team, people speak so highly of, of Jawan Howard of like how great of a professional he was, and it could be a positive thing. How can it not be positive for somebody like Willie Hernan Gomez? How can it not be positive for somebody like Kristaps Porzingis? I think it's good to have him around. I actually just hope that he doesn't play that much. Like, that's just – and you yeah, no, he's not going to play that. that much, right? Like, he just – he um, can't. I'd like to make another point just to that. Like, when you think about our young big men and what they're good at and what they're not good at, they're good at what Joe Kimnoa is not good at, and they're not so good at what Joe Kimnoa is was very good at when he was a good NBA player. Like, he was a plus defender and a plus passer and a phenomenal rebounder. Like – that's where our young guys need to grow. So not only is his experience invaluable, his his personal like usage, like what he was good at, what he can transpire to these young guys is exactly what we need. He's like, I don't know, I, I guess I'd compare him to like a, a less offensively talented like Bill Lambeer or something, somebody who just, you know. Who does the right things, plays hard, super tough. Yeah, defensive anchor that, you know, every team needs. He was that at one time. He can teach others to be that. You know what? Off that, it reminds me, um, you know, the NBA Insiders podcast on ESPN with, you know, Amin Hassan, Jorge Sedano. Uh, you got, they got uh, Wos on there, Black Trey. And they got, they get, Tom Habistro goes on a bunch of times. You know, the, all of the ESPN, like, big NBA guys, they're always on there. Kevin Pelton, whatever. Yeah. One time they had Brandon Jennings on as a guest because Black Trey grew up with Brandon Jennings. They're friends, yada, yada, yada. Brandon Jennings was on for a whole hour. Well, at one point they were asking Brandon Jennings about his time with the Knicks and what it was like because they're very interested. They love, they love like that drama. They're, they think it's funny. They love to joke about it just like we all do, except us Knicks fans actually hate ourselves for it. <laughs> <laughs> but they're talking to Brandon Jennings, and they, they ask him. They, they say, you know, who's like who's the vocal leader in the, club, in the locker room while you were there? And he was talking about it, and he was talking about Melo and how how people actually do really respond to him and love him and think he's funny as hell or whatever. But then he goes, 
you know what? When when Joe Kim was really around, he he tried to be vocal, and, and I think he was, and he he would have been effective. It was just so hard because he was so frustrated that he couldn't play, like yada yada yada. And uh-huh. what I took away from it was that he's a vocal vocal leader. So, do you think like imagine a world where say it was like two K, which we're gonna talk about later as well. Say this was two K. Don't you just wish like Joe Kim could just like retire and become an assistant coach? Like that would <laughs> wouldn't yeah, that be his be best dope. career move at this point? <laughs> I mean, personally, like I know this is just me as a fan because like I actually like Joe Kim Noah. I know nobody else in New York does. Like, but um, I still hold hope for this guy. I mean, if he's still out there and he still thinks he's able to compete, I'd love to see him compete because. That's exactly what he is. He's a pure competitor. He goes out there and he gives you 100% all the time. And, like, uh, people get so caught up in what he's done lately, but, like, you can't disrespect the guy. He's he's won at every level in basketball. He won championships in college. Like I said, he's been to the Eastern Conference Championship multiple times. Like, those aren't easy things to do. And uh, he's done them. So, you know, whether he's you know more limited physically than he used to be or whatever, I still think he's an intelligent basketball player. And if nothing else, you know, being cerebral gets you somewhere. It definitely does. And you know, the money ain't changing. That's the main point. Money ain't going nowhere. This is the SBNY podcast. My name is Pete Kennedy. Here with Frank Villani, we're talking all about the Knicks trade, Carmelo Anthony, the Knicks new roster with Weenus Cantor and Dougie McBuckets. We're talking about the league a little bit. We're going to chat about the Giants and some football uh, in a little while. But I definitely think we talked enough about Joe Kim Noah for like the next three weeks. <laughs> but I want to talk about another logjam because we started this segment off here. I mentioned how you know the Knicks, in a weird way, have a little bit of a logjam at the big man positions. Willie, Kylo Quinn, Enos Cantor, KP, Michael Beasley's a four. Kuz plays some four. Lance Thomas plays some four. So there's just a lot of bigs to go around to get the minutes, who can get consistent, yada, yada, yada. So we just talked a little bit about that. I also want to talk about the two new point guard signings who throw a little wrinkle into what this roster is going to look like on the court because now there's multiple point guards on this roster and there's also a couple shooting guards who should be getting minutes as well and it throws it off. So the Knicks have now signed Ramon Sessions. The Knicks have now signed Jared Jack. Two veteran point guards, known for being professionals, known for being uh, bucket scorers, especially off the bench, who can start in a pinch just about anywhere in the NBA. That was really both Ramon Sessions and Jared Jack. Unfortunately, they both suffered injuries in recent history, missed a bunch of games. But when they're on the court, they're usually good for uh, double-digit points, four, five, six assists, being professional. They're not bad players. But what does that do in relativity to the New York Knicks with the likes of Frank Nielakina, Ron Baker? I think Chase and Randall's already the odd man out, but throw him in the mix. And then, of course, Tim Hardaway, Damian Dotson, and Courtney Lee. Do you think that there's too much guard play to go around? Or do you expect some of these guys to get hurt so it doesn't matter? How do you think this whole uh, front court shapes up? Uh, I mean, there's too much to go around to, I mean, starters. Um, or backcourt, I should say, right? Yeah, backwards. <laughs> um, I think Ron Baker and Chasson Randall, as you said, are odd men out. I think they both could be on the two-way thing, right? You're allowed to have two guys on that. Right now, Luke Cormay, Luke Cork, Luke Corkmay, something like that. He's a big uh, seven-foot center who's a three-point chucker. 
he is already one two-way contract. So there's only room for one more. Okay. So I say one of those guys gets that extra contract. One of those guys probably won't be in And it, it will be Chase and Randall because they love Ron Baker. Just saying. All right, so there you go. You heard it from Petey first. <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you read the blog post via Steve Mills or via Scott Perry, I believe they've both written one uh, in the past, say, week. I think Scott Perry released one, and then maybe two months ago, Steve Mills released one. In the core players that they described, they included Tim Hardaway. They included, obviously, Porzingis. They included William Hernan Gomez, Neil Aquina. And the last person that they included as somebody they want to build with and build with similar types of players was Ron Baker. So he is very much so in the forefront of their minds as a guy who deserves minutes or earns minutes. Okay. So in the wake of that, I'd say that your boy Damian Dotson is going to get the other two-way contract. Baker's probably staying up. Um, I don't know. I bet you it's Ramon Sessions and Jarrett Jack in training camp battling to see who's going to be you know, the guy, whether it's before or after Neil Aquina, I don't know if Neil Aquina is going to be day one starter or not. Um, but whoever wins that role there, I say probably has it. And, you know, I don't know. Um, I definitely, I personally would think Jared Jack was going to win it. I think Jared Jack's a better player than Ramon Sessions. But, but you're not worried about there being too many guards to get minutes and not getting Neil Aquina enough touches or. You know, no, are, are you, is that I, something you worry I, about? No, I think they'll they'll part ways with somebody when necessary because they won't let it affect them. We're in we're in too crucial a stage right now to be giving too many minutes away to people who are not going to be present in our future. Guys like Nilakina, uh, you know, they need to get on the court. We need to we need to get this guy accustomed to the NBA game as soon as possible, so that he can start learning and growing as soon as possible. It's the same thing we did with Chris Porzingis. There's no reason to to so-called draft and stash these guys. We're not the Boston Celtics. We're not going out there trying to compete for you know playoff opportunities right now. We're we're out there to play the best version of basketball we could possibly play, and. Uh, you know, like, honestly, that's a that's a point that I I love to hear. You know, I don't know if you agree with me, but I kind of get the sentiment that Knicks fans in general, and I, I'll throw myself in there, but I think I try to be a little bit more uh, realistic when I talk about the Knicks expectations. I think we really fluctuate way too hard with our expectations a lot, and I think Knicks fans are looking at this Eastern Conference, and I, I'm guilty of it as well sometimes. But I think now after this mellow trade, it might help out in this cause. Knicks fans look at this Eastern Conference and say, these teams aren't very good after the top six. There's no reason we shouldn't be a seven or we shouldn't be an eight. But you explained it perfectly. You said the Knicks need to optimize their abilities. And that just might not mean the seventh or eighth seed in the East. It might mean 34 wins and the eighth pick again next year. And that might be unfortunate to not get a a higher pick. But if you see positives from Frank, if you see Tim Hardaway being able to legitimately take on a scoring load, if you see KP being comfortable being the guy, those are all positive things, and you build from there. Everybody falls in love with the idea of tanking, and I get the idea of tanking. Uh, When I play 2K association mode, if my team ain't that good when I do a fantasy draft, I tank and I try to get a dope pick. But this isn't 2K. This is real life. All these te- Look at the Orlando Magic. They have been very, very bad. Almost specifically tanking for the past five years. A number of top five picks. 
a number of top 10 picks, and they're just as bad as they were when they started. And they don't even seem like they're getting even close to, like, out of these muddy waters. Like but you know, But you know who is getting out of the muddy waters? The Milwaukee Bucks, who changed their, their draft, uh, I mean, their team trajectory with the drafting of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's turning into an all-star. But he was a mid-round pick. But even since then, when they've made these future additions, Jabari Parker was their highest pick. And I can argue that there are three more important players than Jabari Parker on the Milwaukee Bucks. They built it slowly, and they made uh, a jump in wins and didn't make the playoffs. They made another jump in wins and finally made the playoffs. And now they're going to take another jump, and they're not going to the championship this year. But if they win a round in the playoffs, and so on and so forth, and that's what people want to skip. People want to skip the middle. Everyone talks about the NBA and how you don't want to get stuck in the middle. It's it's a no-man's land. If you're in between the 10th and the 6th seed in, in your conference, you're stuck, and you're not going up, and you're not going down. I disagree. In order to tank effectively and get these low picks, like the KPs of the world, like the Neil Aquinas of the world, you get your bad, and then you slowly get better. You're not going to go from the bottom of the barrel straight to the top four in the conference and competing for a championship. You got to be 10th first. Maybe you got to be sixth. Maybe you got to be seventh. But it takes time and it takes it takes multiple years. So you just can't get the expectations too high. It's a very frustrating thing for Knicks fans hearing about all of it. Yeah, I think a lot of that also comes from because like you, you see these top teams make these moves and it moves them from like, you know, fourth or fifth to like potentially first or second. And I'd argue that that leap is easier to make than the leap from the bottom to the middle just because of what you already have in place when you are one of these teams looking to make that jump from you know middle to top you already have things in place that you know you're building on like yeah we know we're building around Porzingis and Tim Hardaway and and all these guys but do we know exactly the the recipe like are is anybody going to sit here and say for sure that Tim Hardaway's option number one over Chris Stapps or vice versa because I don't feel comfortable saying that either way I still think the Knicks have a lot to learn about themselves and you know that's not a bad thing that's part of you know uh, the slow process rebuild as you said it's not necessarily always about just putting the worst product on the court to get the best pick and then hope it pans out and you get the next LeBron James I mean LeBron James is a generational player. A lot of these guys that can turn, like a lot of these individual players who can turn a, a franchise around single-handedly, are once-in-a-generation players. Like you, you can't bank on winning one of those guys in the draft lottery. That's why it's called a draft lottery. Like you know, it's still a risk. You don't know what you're getting. Yeah, I mean, I could I couldn't agree more. And it just, it just gets frustrating to me when people try to downplay making the playoffs. They're like, "Oh, what do you want to just be an eight seed to lose lose to Cleveland in the first round?" Uh, actually, that sounds a lot better than being, you know, twelfth and getting the sixth pick. Like that's way better. I'd rather win basketball games. I'd rather Kristaps Porzingis get used to competing in close games in the fourth quarter than getting blown out and consistently tanking. And then when we want to win. That adds another two years onto the growth that you need to do because these players aren't used to winning basketball games, and yeah, it can be, I, mean, I think it could be a detriment to a culture, to an organization. I think a, a perfect example of that is the Miami Heat. Um, at the beginning of the season last year, they started off like really bad, and everybody wrote them off as like this this hack team that had 
you know, Hassan Whiteside and has been Goran Dragic and has been Dion Waiters. And, you know, they could have mailed it in and they could have just, you know, played people that, you know, maybe not necessarily deserve the minutes, but they were looking to tank. They didn't do that. They, you know, they put a good product on the court day in and day out. They tried 100%, and they turned around to the point where they, they made the playoffs, if I'm correct, right? Yes, they did. They had one of the and, better second halves in the entire NBA. And and what that does for a team is invaluable. Like, say like say the Knicks finish in, in last place in the East, and you're a free agent next year. Like, you sure you're signing up for that mess? But if the Knicks finish, you know, ninth, say, one spot out of the playoffs and, like, two games out of the playoffs, like, they just miss it, that's attractive to a person. Like, people want to win in New York. That's a known thing. It's one of the biggest markets in the world, especially in basketball. Like, if you can show that, you know, we can win, we maybe need a piece or two, maybe the pieces will be willing to come. But if people just see this this nonsense-ass team on the court that, like, gets outplayed in every aspect of the game. Why would you subject yourself to that? It, it makes no sense. Like, as a professional, if you were in that situation, like, would you go to the company that's on the verge of, like, uh, bankruptcy? Or would you go for the guys whose stock is, like, raising 3% a day steadily? Like, let's be honest, you know? Exactly. I mean, it's a good point. It's really interesting. What I want to do now, too, uh, in a moment, is kind of try to try to do what we were just talking about and place our expectations on the Knicks in the East and the Thunder in the West because this trade really is interesting. And again, it's Carmelo Anthony to the Thunder. We're receiving Enos Cantor, Doug McDermott, as well as a second-round pick. So let's start off. Let's start off flipping back to the Thunder. Um, I'm going to give you my uh, Western Conference rankings up to where I thought the Thunder were. And then I'm going to change it and say where I think they are now. And I would like you to do the same after that. So okay. before this Carmelo Anthony trade, I said it was Warriors, Rockets, Spurs, Thunder. I had the Thunder high already. I think that's not too high for them with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. Sounds about right. Sounds about average. And I think they're going to bump up another one. I think with the addition of Carmelo Anthony... This team can be a top three, possibly top two seed in the Western Conference. They have dynamic offense. Russell Westbrook was the MVP. They just added one of the few two-way wings who can literally carry a team to a playoffs by himself, and he did it last year. You talked about how Jimmy Butler did it for the Bulls. You can also make the same exact claim for Paul George and the Pacers. They weren't the most talented roster last year. They had a young Miles Turner an average Thaddeus Young. They had Jeff Teague, and Paul George was the night, the guy, night in, night out. They're extremely dynamic. I think this only raises the Thunder stock, and I could put them in the regular season above the Spurs and possibly above the Rockets. Okay. So, first off, I want to say uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, thank you. Your, <laughs> what, were, what were your top two teams post-Carmelo trade? It's still it's still Golden State and Houston. Okay, so I'll go as bold to say I think this move puts them clearly ahead of Houston, um, just because you know Houston got an aging Chris Paul. Not that Chris, like I still think Chris Paul's you know top three point guards in the league, still one of the best players in the league. But um, he is getting older, and James Harden also seems to play the point guard role this, these days. So I'm not really sure how that's 
dynamic's going to work out? Are they going to have two guys who average 10 assists a game? How does that really work out? But I can see how it works out in Oklahoma City as Russell Westbrook still being the primary ball handler slash playmaker, Carmelo Anthony being the spread the floor option, and Paul George is probably your go-to bucket guy. Like it, it seems to fall more into place for the Thunder than it does for the Rocket. But another thing I want to talk about for the Thunder that skyrockets them above the, the Rockets uh, um, is the fact that Andre Roberson's value, as you said earlier in the podcast, it has it skyrocketed. It's it's astronomical. You put a player like that on a team that just has Russell Westbrook, and he has average impact. I know he's a, a great defender and this and that, but he really turns it into five on four on the offensive end, and we we saw that in the playoff series against the uh, the Warriors when they still had Durant. Um, the Warriors pretty much just left him alone and let him do whatever he wanted, and he still couldn't score. So what putting two you know, dominant scorers on the floor next to Russell Westbrook and Andre Roberson does is it, it completely makes up for that guy's lack of offense. Cause like, you know, and he makes up for their lack of defense. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like a match made in heaven almost. And uh, it, it's really, I think it's just going to maximize them like that. I think the, the team building, whoever's building teams over there in Oklahoma city, um, they're not looking just to make big moves and make big splashes. They're also building a team at the same time, which is impressive to say the least. I think the Thunder, they're not completely scared that they're going to lose Russell Westbrook, but they know it's a real possibility that he will not be back forever. So what yeah. they're doing, I completely respect, and I said this when they traded for Paul George, and I'll say it again that they traded for Melo. They're trying to win. Everyone said how when the Warriors won last year and Kevin Durant stayed and they got all their guys back, Andre Iguodala got back, and yada, yada, yada. Oh, the Warriors are just going to win again. They're ruining the league. BS, BS, BS. I really am tired of hearing that because I look at the Houston Rockets getting Chris Paul. I look at the Thunder now acquiring Paul George and Melo. I look at the Timberwolves getting Jimmy Butler and Jeff Teague while retaining Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and getting Jamal Crawford. I mean, you look at these teams across the Western Conference, and, I mean, it's tough to say it about the East, but the East, they're not not trying. They're just not succeeding. These teams are trying to win. And you look at Sam Presti, Billy Donovan, and now Russ, PG, and Melo. Those are people who are here to win. They don't care about the Warriors. They may not be able to beat them, but they're here to try to beat them. And it's undeniable that the Thunder have as good a chance as anybody in the entire NBA now that they've made this addition. Because you look at Andre Roberson, who, you know, we were arguing the other day. I was trying to tell you Roberson is a top 10 shooting guard, and that's yet to be determined. My lists are coming out soon. Stay tuned. Uh, shameless plug. But <laughs> now that we say his, sky, his, his uh, value skyrockets, his offense doesn't matter as much. His defense is more meaningful. And now look at their fifth starter, because it's Russ, Roberson, PG, Mello, and Steven Adams, a guy who is looked at as a up and coming while also being top 10 center in this league. Like he's not near his potential yet. This man is in, below the age of 23 years old. Steven Adams is a no, rim protector. He is 23. He's 23. Exactly. So he's a rim protector, defender, rebounder who has, you know, a somewhat budding offensive skill set. He has a lot to be desired for, but it's better and better each year. You got two guys who pair almost perfectly with these three because yep. Russ can do everything. 
Paul George can do everything. Melo's going to be a shooter and a scorer who can rebound a little bit. And now you got two defenders to pair next to these guys. I mean, their their bench isn't the best, but it's average, I would say. This is this is going to be exciting. Like that is the most. This is the that's the best part about this trade. This adds more excited excitement to an already excited season for me. Oh man, I mean, you know, I couldn't agree more. We have our group chat, and you know, I sent my my messages right away. Like this team is going to be a problem. Like there's no other way around it. But um, I don't know if you mind. I want to break some news. It just happened 30 minutes ago, I guess. Um, Dwayne Wade and the Bulls have reached a buyout. Really? And the contenders for him are the Cavs, Spurs, and the Heat. Wow. As, as per Woj. So not per me, per Woj. <laughs> you know what? You know, I, I heard on the radio the other day, it was after Melo had said his uh, his team of no, of tradable teams is expanding. It was reported by Woj. He said Cleveland and obviously OKC and whatever. And somebody on the radio called in and said, well, if Woj's ports are correct, I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean if? Like, can you think of a time where this man was not right? Like, this guy is the best of the best. He he has his own, like, catchphrase name. Like, Woj Bomb is a thing for a reason. Yeah. You don't yeah. disrespect the Woj like that. <laughs> but it's not even a self-branded thing. Like, you know something's real when other people bestow it upon you, like, He's been bestowed as the NBA guy. He knows everything that happens. It's like it's almost weird. Like, is he actually running the NBA? I'm not really sure. <laughs> him and him and Worldwide Wob. You know Worldwide Wob? <laughs> no, I don't. He's a he's a big uh, NBA Twitter like handle. I guess you want to call him. But he's he's a real person too. But he he's he, honestly you've probably seen him on Twitter if you haven't. But just look up Worldwide Wob. You'll find him. Uh, Woj is also such a low-key guy. Like You know he doesn't want all the hype around him, but he's just like, yeah, I just happen to be really awesome at this job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, let's yeah. segue over to the Knicks because I think our listeners can tell that we both are excited to watch the Thunder and expect pretty strong uh, pretty, pretty strong success out of them as well. You know, So let's segue back over to the Knicks. Um Let's say – let's just state this fact, right? I think there's a fact to state about the Eastern Conference. I'm going to name teams in no real specific order but close to a specific order. Uh, Boston Celtics, Cleveland Cavaliers, Milwaukee Bucks, Washington Wizards, Toronto Raptors. That's five teams. Those five teams are 100% absolute locks for the playoffs. I'd agree. Right, right. That's like not even a discussion. Is that? I feel like that's fair to say. I mean, like barring you know catastrophic circumstances, yeah, I'd say we're we're money on that pick right there. I'd I'd feel good putting my eggs in that basket. Cool. All right, I'm a roll in on that because that's important to note when trying to place this next team in the Eastern Conference. So I'm gonna name a couple other teams now, and I want you to put the Knicks next to them. All right. Like better or worse? Yeah. Gotcha. So I'm going to name four teams, and I want you to put the Knicks in their presence and, you know, better, worse, and and different. The Miami Heat, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Detroit Pistons, and the Charlotte Hornets. Okay. I'd say we are worse than both the Hornets and the Heat. These are two teams that are a little bit further in their progression. Um, 
I don't, did the Hornets make the playoffs last year? They had a down year. They did not. They, they had a down year, but they were in the, the, the year previous to that. I do remember that. They were. And I can tell you they added Malik Monk. They added Dwight Howard. They added Michael Carter-Williams. Two of those players have negative connotations with their names, but may be at least average. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, they also still have Nicholas Atum and Campbell Walker, Michael K. Gilchrist. Um, oh, yeah. Cody Zeller. Don't don't sleep on Cody Zeller. My man is effective. I, that's what I'm saying. This is, a, this, is, um, this is a decent NBA team, a team that's proven it before. This is why I put them above the Knicks. Same with the Heat. Uh, they made the playoffs last year. They retained. Well, they just most- missed the playoffs last year. Okay, they almost made it. Um, but they were in the year previous to that. Yes. Um, and they retained most of their guys, correct? They they actually returned Justice Winslow from injury. They, re- they retain Goran Drogic, Tyler Johnson, Deion Waiters, Josh Richardson, Wayne Ellington, James Johnson, Hassan Whiteside. They added Bam Adebayo. They added Kelly Olenek. Yeah, so I say that's still a team that's a little bit better than the Knicks. Um, so you said, who were the other two teams? I apologize. The other two teams were the 76ers, which is going to be a very interesting one starting next week when we do our NBA exclusive podcast. But the Sixers and then the Pistons. Okay, I'd say we're better than the Pistons because um, I'm not sure the Pistons really even know what their direction is moving forward. Um, I know we've talked about Andre Drummond the other day. I'm a little higher on him than you are. But even that, like Stanley Johnson kind of busted for them. Uh, I'm not ready to give up on him completely, but he has not shown any signs of progression to me since he's gotten the NBA. He still can't shoot, can still really only go right, and he's not really even that much of a good defender, even though he's a plus athlete. Um, and they still lack in like extremely important areas like um, – Reggie Jackson wanted so bad to be a starter in the NBA, and I just don't think he is one. Um, he's not the right type of one. He's just not yeah. the right type. He's not the efficient point guard that exists in the NBA today. The thing is, is I think he would compete for sixth man of the year if he accepted that role. But besides that point, um, Ish Smith, another guy, not a proven starter in this league. Like, Who knows what you're going to get with him. He's a terrible defender. Um, Tobias Harris, pretty good. Uh, marginal NBA player give you probably like 15 points a game, um, and again besides like who are they banking on Henry, Henry Ellinson and uh, and, uh, and Luke Kennard like yeah I don't really have the utmost confidence in either of those guys to to make that step to take that team into you know like competing like I, I don't you know you I did think, forget one guy who's semi important I think they did that? add Avery Bradley this offseason. Okay, Avery Bradley's good, but they also lost uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, so I feel like that's it, it's as close to a wash as you can get. I think Avery Bradley's a little bit better offensively overall, but Contavious Caldwell-Pope, I think, fit in that offense more because he's more of a shooter, and he spread the floor more for their main option, Andre Drummond. Uh, and Reggie Jackson, who's a guy who likes to get to the hole. Exactly. So, I mean, they, they get marginally better on defense while, you know, maybe sufficing on offense. So again, that's marginal increases. I still don't think that team is as good. And uh, the 76ers, I put them in the same position as the Knicks right now. Uh, I think there's more hype surrounding them and I get it because they have more of these, you know, polarizing top, like high overall pick guys. They have the tank picks. They have all the tank picks and then some. But the thing about them is, you know, I, I love Joel Embiid. Guys got talent out the wazoo, but you know, play a full NBA season before 
you know, before I start writing you in as one of these one of these guys in the NBA that can, you know, do it on a night and out at night out basis. Uh, same thing with Ben Simmons. I think they have two guys who compete for Rookie of the Year, but um, does that really necessarily mean that you're going to be a good team just because you have two outstanding rookies? I don't think so. I think um, it takes time in the NBA for these players. Like you said, like you have to learn how to become a winner. It's not just like you go from a a 30-win team to a 50-win team. It's, it's, it's incremental increases, and for this reason, I put them in the same boat as us. Like, they're, they know what they want to do. They know who they want to build around. Um, they've already put some pieces in place, a little bit more so than the Knicks have with the signing of J.J. Redick, but at the same time, um, who, who's their starting point guard? Markel Fultz, Jared Bayless, T.J. McConnell. And then J.J. Redick, and who's their starting three? Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, Robert Covington, Justin Anderson. And who's their starting four? Dario Saric, Amir Johnson. Again, to me, there is room. Yeah, they can be. Um, I'm gonna, I, I want to add something about the Sixers, all right? So think about this lineup. Markel Fultz, J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons, Dario Saric, and Joel Embiid. That's their projected starting five, right? You look at that starting five and say... Wow. A, that's an awesome 2K team. That sounds like so much fun of a team to use. Oh, yeah. It's a super fun team. Right. Like, at it. Like, that would be fun to watch no matter what. So like, that, that doesn't mean wins, first off. Second off, then there's some health question marks, right? So let me read this lineup to you with, say, Joel Embiid out for two months. Markel Fultz, JJ Redick, Ben Simmons, Darius Arch, Rashawn Holmes. Like, that is not the same team. And yet, that... Yet they showed last year that they compete night in and night out. They may not win, but they, they really play hard. And I love TJ McConnell. And, you know, Robert Covington competes on defense. So does Justin Anderson. Amir Johnson's probably an average rotation player. I loved what Dario Sarge did last year. But we're not sure what we're getting out of Ben Simmons, and he can't shoot. J.J. Redick has never been the most uh, prestigious player on a team before. You know, he's the he's the most prestigious player. Like, he's the, the biggest name. He's the most hype. Um, best shooter on the team. He has a bigger workload than he's ever had, probably. Yet, yeah, they, they probably won't lean on him like, too much because these young guys are going to get all the touches in the world. But that lineup, without Joel Embiid, adding in more Amir Johnson minutes, more Rashawn Holm minutes, more uh, Jaleel Okafor minutes, who he doesn't exist anymore in a lot of NBA minds, that's a way worse team than with Joel Embiid in there. So that what's, is what makes people really nervous about it, and I think it's rightfully so. Like It's a deserved nerve. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, like this is something uh, we should know. Like it, it'll be very evidently clear to us. Like if they're healthy, they'll probably be all right. If they're not, I mean, expect what you expect for any team when their stars hurt. It's as simple as that. Exactly. So uh, who do you think has the better rookie season, Ben Simmons or Mark Fultz? See, uh, I feel like we've had this conversation with that group and uh, a lot of people believe like, that Ben Simmons, like, he's got this year under his belt. Um, I'm not bought into that shit at all. What I see is a guy who's had a year off from basketball. Um, he's got to get his bearings. And not only does he have to get his bearings back, he's got to get his bearings back on the highest level of basketball around. So, uh, Marco Fultz, to me, he's like, uh, this is, again, this is just my opinion. He's like a polarizing pick, number one. Uh, there are a few guys to me that stand out like from day one, just like when I see them play, like, wow, that guy is a star. Um, 
what I saw from Markel Fultz in college and just that stuff, I, I think this guy is going to be a star. And I think, I actually think their numbers will both be very comparable. Like, I can see them both averaging around 15 points. Ben Simmons, like, 15, 8, and 5. And then Marco Fultz, like, uh, that's rebounds and assists. And then Marco Fultz, like, 15, 4, and 7. Like, I can see that. I really could. And for me, that's too close to call. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know. Plenty I, of hype around both of them. I'll say again? I'll tell you this. There's plenty of hype around both of them. And I am very excited to watch the Sixers play basketball. Very excited. Oh, me too, man. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I, <laughs> As much skepticism as I have for those two guys, who's going to be the better one, I cannot wait to find out who actually is. Like, It's going to be fun to watch. Because they both have intriguing skill sets that, if they do correlate to the NBA, will be really fun to watch. I mean, for me, a quick comparison, Marco Fultz on the offensive end of the court seems to have like that shifty shooter style kind of game that oh, yeah. you see from like a from like a James Harden. Hey, I'm not saying, that's exactly who I was gonna say if you didn't say I'm, him. Yeah, like I'm not gonna say he's as good, obviously, that's preposterous, but like But we didn't know James Harden was this good when he was a rookie either. So there you go. He's just got he's got that style of play. He's he's got that kind of mojo. Like, In control. Changes yeah, directions. And and great finisher on the room. I feel like he's gonna be that type of player. And then Ben Simmons I see Honestly, I see him more like it's, – it's tough to compare him because he's more – I don't even know. You, 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 you almost have to take out his athleticism when you compare Ben Simmons because, first off, his style of play does not fit freak athlete 6'10". All right? Like, you know what I mean? My man is a point guard who can't shoot. He's Rajon Rondo but stretched out like a million times. That's, that's kind of his style of play. He's a ridiculous <laughs> passer. He could finish around the room with both hands because I don't think he knows if he has a strong hand. He's a lefty, but, I mean, you know, I've heard you say this before. If you got two hands, you got no hands. If you don't, yeah. like, if you don't have one strong hand, you got no strong hands. So he's a little bit of an intri- intriguing prospect in that sense, but when you compare him, you almost have to think about point guard stereotypes and not forward ter- stereotypes because if you think about the only forward stereotype that he fits – the two names that you think of are LeBron and Magic Johnson. And it's not fair to, to Ben Simmons, who's never played an NBA game, to just say, oh, yeah, he's like LeBron. Or, oh, yeah, he's like Magic Johnson. It's not yeah, realistic. No. It's not fair. But it's kind of a decent match. I would say my comparison would be, I mean, again, this is with acknowledging I know he cannot shoot. Um, I, I would still put him more on the category of a Paul George. And I know the the comeback's going to be, well, Paul George isn't as good a passer. Um, he's not as good a passer, but he's still a very good playmaker, which is, is something in and of itself. It's related. It's not the same. I know that. But Paul George has one of the smoothest mid-range games. He's got a back-to-the-basket game. He's a six. He's like 6'10", 6'11". Good transition. Three of the four, um, and he's a plus athlete. So I think I can see... As, as he matures, he turns into more of a Paul George-esque player on the offensive end, where if he develops a shot, it's going to be over. Like, this guy's going to be a problem. And right honestly, now, if you think about Giannis's, uh style that he's developed over the past two years specifically, Ben Simmons almost relates to a, a Tedekumpo style. Um, take away a little bit of length, 
throwing a little bit more beef and strength to his to his frame, and it's almost a Giannis style game. Yeah, I, I would even say that's definitely more because I, 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 I get the LeBron stuff. I do, but like I don't see it. I personally don't see it. Um, he LeBron James as a point forward is is I don't even know. He's like he brings the ball up. He's more in motion. Ben Simmons to me seems like a guy like like you feed him on his side of the court, he'll either post up, make a move to the basket, or make a pass. I don't see him necessarily, you know, like dribbling to break down a team. Not that he can't. I see him more as like a systematic breakdown rather to a, a runaround breakdown guy. Does that right. make sense? Build the system for him instead of just let LeBron run a system. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean – as a rookie, at least, because, you know, it's Absolutely. a lot of freedom to give a rookie. All right, I so last thing. Playmaker oh. from the post, which is invaluable. Look at guys like Marcus Gasol and shit. Like, Just imagine it. Dario Star. I mean, imagine Ben Simmons. Sorry. Imagine Ben Simmons running a pick and roll and throwing an oop or a pick and pop back to Joel Embiid. Imagine, like, them being healthy. I, that is a scary sight. But Definitely. we have to wait to see that. It's gonna be very fun. So what I want you to do for the last thing about basketball, we talked, we talked, we've been going for an hour and five already, uh, a little bit longer than expected. But I think we've been having pretty nice uh, basketball talk. I've been enjoying it. But the last thing I want you to do about this little Knicks conversation of where they fit in the East, I don't want you to predict for me playoffs or not playoffs yet. We're not there yet. We we don't need to do that yet. But I do want to say this: gut prediction right now, who has more wins by the end of the season, the Knicks or the Sixers? Oh, it's isn't it such a tough question? It really is. Uh, gut. Okay, so that, that includes your gut feeling on what might happen with injuries, like just your overall okay. gut. What do you think is going to happen in in like six eight months, whenever it is? Okay, I'm sure Philly fans will get on me as being a homer, but um, I think it's the Knicks. Whoa. I personally, I just don't believe in Joel Embiid's <laughs> knees and feet. To, to hold up for the whole season. I would don't get me wrong, I would love for him to do so, but I just don't see it happening. Um, besides that though, the Knicks have Kristaps Porzingis, who's who's um, who's shown that he could be a secondary guy on a team, is getting prepared to take his role as the primary guy. It's gonna be interesting to see. I think he'll be able to score. Um, that'll be very cool. Courtney Lee, consummate professional might be coming off the bench this year, could be invaluable as a six-man. Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, was a guy not many people were high on last year, is a quality NBA player now, as he's shown through his um, increased production with increased minutes. You can't deny it. Uh, Frank Milikina is an exciting prospect, any way you cut it. Uh, he's a top-five pick, uh, or sorry, he's a top-eight pick. Um, he's young, he can shoot. Um, you know, you got a little bit of medicine to him. He's long. It's intriguing, to say the least. Uh, Jarrett Jack's been an NBA player for a number of years now. Uh, he's still a solid NBA player. Ramon Sessions, same thing. Uh, Michael Beasley, another guy who, um, with limited usage, had you know pretty good numbers. I think you up his usage, he's good. Uh, Willie Hernan Gomez, again, another guy. I think he's good. Uh, Enos Cantor, guy, he's good. But these are guys that have been on the court and have produced for whole seasons that I can at least say I know, you know, can do it for a whole season because I've seen it happen. That's why I'll go with the Knicks. Just 
more certainties than questions, unlike the Sixers. I love it. But, I think it's a like, good, I think it's a good explanation. You did a, a good job backing up the point. Yeah, I'm, if, I'm, if I I'm gonna sum it up in one statement, um, Knicks lower ceiling, higher floor. Sixers lower floor, higher ceiling. That's what I would say. Right. Understood. Understood. It makes a lot of sense as well. Not a bad breakdown by you there. That's Frank Villani on the breakdown. Uh, I'm gonna just. I'm gonna hold. I mean, I'll say. I say. I think the Sixers are a better team. Uh, I think they consistently play harder in general. Hopefully that changes with the new rapport of Knicks teammates that they play harder. So I'm gonna go with the Sixers, but we're gonna get more into that. There's gonna be way more NBA podcasts coming out here via SBNY. The NBA outsiders are on their way. That's all you need to know. The NBA outsiders are on their way, and they're gonna come to save you on all your NBA needs. Uh, but that that's it on the on the Knicks and the NBA for now. We talked about a lot of stuff there. Let's do let's do like five minutes here on the Giants and this week three. So first off, how about this? Kudos to the Giants for scoring more than twenty points. Uh, hold up, let's let's Golf actually give kudos <laughs> to the Giants for scoring multiple touchdowns. We had only scored one, so it's good to get two. Um, I actually said it during the game. I was watching with some friends. Um, once Odell caught that touchdown, it kind of felt like last year. You know, like he was like being a baby and all that crap at the beginning of the year. And then a few people were like, he just needs to dance. He just needs to get in the end zone. He just needs to dance. He'll be back. Uh, I kind of feel like that's the same thing with the Giants. Yeah, and then uh, Odell got a penalty on his first touchdown for literally pretending to be a dog and peeing on a fire hydrant. Which, I'll go on the record, in my opinion, that shit's funny. That shit it was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but uh, I think at least the Giants' offense is back. Um, Philly's secondary, yeah, it's nothing to write home about. Uh, but their front seven, that is. Um, and our main problem has been our offensive line. So the fact that we were able to score 21 points against one of the premier pass rushing teams in the league, I think that's a positive in the very least. I mean, it obviously sucks to be 0 and 3, like, and this offensive line, like, you know, you don't see the end in, <laughs> in sight pretty much. But um, at least they're showing that they can deal with it. A little bit, I guess. Absolutely. I guess uh, my breakdown would be, I don't even know. I'll add um, this. I'll add this. It sucks to be 0-3. I agree, obviously. That's like the most obvious statement of all time. But there were positives today, and you lost to a good football team. The Giants lost to a good football team. The Eagles are good. They're the favorite right now, in my opinion. I've said that multiple times on this podcast, to win the NFC East. The Giants played a good game. A rookie kicker had a 61-yard field goal, and if he didn't, which he... Nine times out of ten, rookie kicker does not hit a 61-yard field goal to win the game in a division rival. Nine times out of ten. So that's a tough, he tough break. A record, bro. He broke a record. That's the farthest field goal ever kicked by a rookie, I'm pretty sure. So literally before today, ten times out of ten, that would never go in. So yeah, no a tough break. You competed with a good team. You're 0-3, and that stinks. But there's positives to draw, and that's a good thing. Um, oh, but- uh, actually, I want to I wanna say one more thing. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, you're good. Brad Wing. What are you doing, my man? Okay? This uh, this is truly the age of social media. I can't 100% verify this, but I feel like this is the truth. Bear with me. Uh, a few days ago on Twitter, Pat McAfee released a video of the, the Rams punter Hecker hitting a bomb, pinning a team at the six-yard line. He describes how he did this punt where he holds the ball sideways instead of, like, straight up and down. 
and how it's like super risky to do because if you miss hit it, it'll go like seven yards. But if you do it right, you can pin people like to the right side or to the left side where you want it. Brad Wing dropped that ball sideways. He let the hype of another person calling another punter the best punter in the league get to his head, and he cost us the game because of it. Wow. Because he had to be able to do the hard punt. If he would have just did a regular punt there and punted at 60 yards, they probably don't get into field goal position. We go to overtime, and who knows what happens. Exactly. Who knows what happens if you hit overtime. Also, two opportunities to put points on the board in the first half with field goals. Went for it on fourth down and failed twice. That is quite the rough uh, feeling for Giants fans looking back on such a close game. So that's pretty tough, but there's positives to draw. I believe the Bucks are next week. We'll get more into that. But the last thing I want to add, Frank, is before we finish up, is the ridiculous factor of the NFL Week 3 with home underdogs. Home underdogs dominated the day. There were 10 home underdogs, according to Vegas spreads, this Week 3. Eight of them won by the spread, and I think seven of them actually just won. So I'm going to go through this real quick just to uh, you know touch on, the, on all the bases here because 10 home underdogs is ridiculous to start off. So first off, the Jets, home underdogs, win outright. The Jaguars, well, that was, was a London, but Jaguars are underdogs. They went outright. Bills are home underdogs, win outright. The Saints are underdogs. They went outright, but they weren't home. They were just underdogs. Bears, home underdogs, win outright. Colts, home underdogs, went outright. Vikings, home underdogs, went outright. The list went on and on. And plus, the 49ers were home underdogs on Thursday, and they didn't win outright, but they covered the spread this was a week full of weird lines, full of weird spreads, and it turned out to be the home underdogs basically covered or won. Very weird week in the NFL. The Packers hardly won against the Bengals, and the Steelers went down to the Bears, and the Patriots had their hands all types of full with the Texans. I think the weirdest storyline that you're not even even glancing over is the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars absolutely dismantled the Ravens who were like commonly agreed upon as either the best or second best team in that division. It wasn't even close. Mercedes Lewis, who had two catches all year, caught three touchdowns. Like I haven't heard the name Mercedes Lewis since like 2014. So I'm saying like, what are you doing? And, and another thing, just like, you know, my limited football, I'm not a big football guy, but like, Yo, Carolina Panthers fans, hop off that bandwagon. Cam Newton, uh, that year, yeah, it seems to be the anomaly. It seems to be the statistical anomaly. Average average quarterback. This guy can't even beat the Saints secondary. Are you kidding me? He looked bad. He didn't even, you know what I mean? It's not like he didn't. It's not like the, the Panthers didn't play well, but Cam did his thing. No. That was just bad. Dude, that was bad. It was bad. You're right. Honestly, I kind of thought the Ravens were fraud, fraudulent. You know, they dominated the Bengals in week one. Bengals looked to be a bad team in the first two weeks. Obviously, they played better against the Packers. Then they beat the Browns in week two. It was really easy to call the Ravens a dominant defense when they played the Browns and the Bengals. The Bengals didn't score a touchdown until this week. So I thought the Ravens were kind of fraudulent, but I didn't expect this at all. It was ridiculous. 44-7, to and the 7 was a garbage time 7. It was basically a shutout out in London this week. And maybe um, maybe the London thing plays a factor, but that was damn bizarre. It was. Uh, but the one point to the Ravens' defense, I'll say, um, their front seven is always good. That's just like ever since I've watched football, the Ravens have had a good front seven. That's like the known thing in football. 
And second, like I like usually how to tell if secondaries are good or bad or whether I know their names. So really, you only know guys' names if they're really bad or if they're really good. Pretty much like uh, even example like C.C. Brown, former Giants safety, nickname can't cover Brown. Everybody remembers him because he couldn't cover for shit. <laughs> um, I remember Jimmy Smith on the Ravens because that guy is a good is a good cornerback. So I knew that they had playmakers and in, in, in both levels of the defense. So I thought you know I didn't you know I, I took into account that they played the Browns and the Bengals. The Bengals, who hadn't scored a touchdown in the first two weeks, the only team to look worse than the Giants in the first two weeks. But um, at the same time, I tried to give them some merit just based on, uh, you know, past knowledge. But I, I guess I was wrong. Blakey Bortle service. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Dismantled them. I got dismantled by Las Vegas this week. I, I kind of want to leave it at that. <laughs> I didn't do well on the spreads yeah, on Sunday. <laughs> what are you going to do, though? Hey, man, have fun. That's yes, that's can. right. I had fun watching my teams lose. <laughs> well, you got, you got any last words on the podcast? Anything about Melo? Anything about the trade? You want to say goodbye to Melo? Give a little nice Okay. Yeah, sentiment? no, actually I do. Because um, I've been like a big Melo critic in the past. Um, I appreciate Carmelo Anthony as a Nick. Uh, it was fun to watch him. The year that we made the playoffs with him and Amari, and we happened to run into that buzzsaw uh, Heat team, you know, that is what it is. Uh, it was fun while it lasted. Um, I don't think you're a bum. And, uh, yeah, yeah, good luck. I hope you I hope you have the best years of your career with the Thunder because that would be cool. That was nice, man. That was honest, too, you know. You said I hated not. No, you didn't say you hated him. I critiqued you. You still gave us some good times. I wish you the best of luck. I'm also not that upset that you're gone. <laughs> oh, I'm not upset at all that he's gone. You know, it's like it's a mutual breakup. He wanted out, and I wanted him out. Exactly. I mean, I feel the same way, man. I'm, I'm going to miss Melo. I think he got the shit end of the stick in a lot of situations. I think the media gave him a hard time day in, day out, which they do to anybody here in New York. I think he was a consummate pro- professional, and he get, he got, he gave the Madison Square Garden – Tons of exciting moments, whether you like it or not. I think that's just factual. The few playoff appearances, I won't say runs, the few playoff appearances were fun. The one mini run was very fun. And some good years, some bad years as well. Mello, I miss you. I appreciate you. You're a Hall of Famer. Goddamn good luck. Yeah, man. I think one of the most exciting things I can remember as a basketball fan, as a Knicks fan specifically, is is when we traded for Mello. That was like... It was electric. Yes, it, it, I've never felt a buzz about like that about the Knicks in my lifetime, and it'd be cool, you know, get back there someday. Absolutely. Well, that's all we got today for the SBNY podcast. Hopefully, you enjoyed today's episode. If you're here listening to us now and you like what you've been hearing, if you haven't subscribed yet, it's a, it seems like a real simple option. Just head over to sportsblognewyork.com, click on the podcast tab. Any of those articles will lead you in the right direction, or go straight to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Type in Sportsblog New York Podcast. And then click the subscribe button. And if you really feel feeling frisky, leave a little rating, leave a review. We'd love to hear back from you guys. But for the SBNY Podcast, my name is Peter Kennedy. Frank Vellani joined today. You're going to be hearing more from him and more NBA coming around the block. And obviously the NFL is in full swing with the Yankees' playoff run around the corner. Have a great week. We look forward to NFL Week 4 and the NBA training camps taking place.